Hey, Joey here. And Antonio too. No real preview today. Lots of news to get through. So let's go. It's December 4th. Happy holidays. And let's get started with the tech news. All right, first up, record online sales for Black Friday this year. Uh, Black Friday online sales hit a new record this year due to the pandemic. It's estimated consumers spent $9 billion on U.S. retail websites, according to Adobe Analytics, which tracks online shopping. This is a 22% increase over the previous record of $7.4 billion, which was set in 2019. Traffic to physical stores, however, has dropped. Retailers have tried to prevent crowds this year by cutting their hours and limiting doorbuster deals. Some some retailers, such as Target, had their normal Black Friday deals all month long. Traffic was slower in the Northeast and West than in the Midwest and South, according to Sensormatic Senior Director of Global Retail Consulting, Brian Field. Jewelry and footwear saw the largest in-person sales declines, according to Retail Next. Apparel sales were down 50%, and home goods fell by 39%. Even with these drops, this will likely end up as one of the biggest in-person shopping days in the U.S. this year. So yeah, record Black Friday numbers online. No surprise to anyone, I don't think. Right, yeah. No surprise, especially with the pandemic this year. Everyone wants to stay at home. Of course, I work at one of the big retailers that did the Black Friday deals all month long. Uh, I'd say it was a fairly busy month, but Black Friday itself in the store was a little slower than normal. Yeah, as you know, I work at Amazon. Like, me personally, I haven't really noticed much different as far as, like, my job is concerned. Like, I don't really notice anything happening any faster, more volume. But they do have more people working in the fulfillment center right now. So that has something to do with it. Right, yeah. So uh, Black Friday protests were staged by Amazon workers in 15 countries. Uh, I don't know if they did anything where you were at. Uh, Not at my job, no. Okay. Well, on Black Friday this year, Amazon warehouse workers and social and environmental justice activists around the world staged a series of coordinated protests, strikes, and actions demanding the online retailer respect workers' rights to participate in union activity, stop circumventing tax laws, and commit to higher environmental standards, according to the event organizers. This day of action was called hashtag make Amazon pay. Black Friday is one of Amazon's biggest sales events of the year, as well as the start of the peak season, when warehouse worker injuries are the highest and workloads for warehouse workers and delivery drivers skyrocket. Protests took place in Brazil, Mexico, the United States, and the United Kingdom, Spain, France, Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg, Italy, Poland, India, Bangladesh, the Philippines, and Australia. Organizers released a statement signed by 39 organizations and sent it to Amazon, which reads, quote, Meanwhile, Amazon warehouse workers risked their lives as essential workers and only briefly received an increase in pay, end quote. They also said, quote, Like all major corporations, Amazon's success would be impossible without the public institutions that citizens build together over generations. 
But instead of giving back to the societies that helped it grow, the corporation starves them of tax revenue through its world-beating efforts at tax dodging, end quote. Organizations involved include UNI Global Union, Greenpeace, the Athena Coalition, the Sunrise Movement, Oxfam, Our Revolution, Amazon Employees for Climate Justice, Progressive International, Public Citizen, and the Tax Justice Network. Of course, Amazon wasn't happy about this. Connor Sweeney, spokesperson for Amazon's Luxembourg headquarters, said, quote, This is a series of misleading assertions by misinformed or self-interested groups who are using Amazon's profiles to further their individual causes. Amazon has a strong track record of supporting our people, our customers, and our communities, including providing safe working conditions and leading $15 minimum wage and great benefits, leading on climate change with the Climate Pledge commitment to be net zero carbon by 2040 and paying more than $5 billion in taxes globally, end quote. Yeah, so, uh, like I said, I know we talked a couple days ago kind of about, like, uh, union organization and Amazon. Yeah, Yeah, uh, we talked about that, uh, not on the podcast, of course, but in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't noticed anything at my fulfillment center as far as, like, you know, organization or anything like that. But I think for the most part, from what I, from what I've, you know, been able to, from people I've talked to, most people where I work at seem pretty happy. Like the job itself, they might not be happy with, but they don't feel like they're mistreated by Amazon. Right. So, I, I mean, I guess it just depends on which places you work at. Obviously, management is different in each location. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard mixed things. It all depends on where you work. It seems like some of the older warehouses tend to have more problems with like getting to the bathroom. For example, I've heard of yeah. stories where like people can't get to the bathroom without going like up or down four floors as well as a security checkpoint yeah my well where i work at there's uh like the way the fulfillment center is set up is like four floors and then it's like it's brand new so it's all robotic yeah but each floor has you know two bathrooms you can go to at least and then there's other ones around it place too so yeah because i think a lot of the older places weren't even really designed to be the warehouses they are now yeah yeah, from wherever I work at, usually you're not more than like a two or three minute walk from a bathroom. Yeah. Now, there's no, there's no, uh, um, what do you call it? There's no guarantee that someone won't be in there for 20 minutes on mm-hmm. their phone while you're waiting to go to the bathroom, but that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the biggest complaints I've heard were like the pick rates are just way too high for the, 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 goals that they have for the pick rates anyway. honestly my pick i mean i have no problem meeting their pick rates uh because their pick rate is you're supposed to, they want you to do 300 picks per hour if you're a picker that means their goal is 400 but if you're above 300 they're not going to yeah. hassle you like I'm, I'm barely above 300 usually and i'm one of the fastest pickers there so okay yeah i think the concern is like some people are doing things real fast and end up getting hurt you know so well yeah they want you to be safe but i mean you know i'm a tall dude so mm-hmm. i don't have to go up and down the little because you know the sometimes the shelves that come by are kind of tall so you have like a little a little step kind of stool thing they can roll up so by hardly didn't need to use that so if you're going up and down that the whole time yeah, yeah i can see that yeah 
Of course, I could keep going on and on about the problems I've heard about Amazon. If you want to check out more, check out Camelot331's channel on YouTube. He goes in-depth with a lot of this. Uh, take it with a grain of salt. There may be things that are or are not accurate. As like always. I said, I mean, sure, it, it varies by location, location. Like, yes. I'm, I'm more or less happy where I'm at. So Right. So, uh, Ajit Pai will depart from the FCC on January the 20th. Uh, the FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, announced he will leave the FCC on the 20th of January, 2021, the same day Joe Biden is to be sworn in as president of the United States. During his four years as FCC chief, Pai deregulated the broadband industry and eliminated net neutrality rules. He justified his agenda by using faulty data and, tra- and taking credit for broadband deployments that were planned well before he became chairman. Pai called being the chairman of the SEC the honor of a lifetime. He also said, I am grateful to President Trump for giving me the opportunity to lead the agency in 2017, to President Obama for appointing me as the commissioner in 2012, and to Senate Majority Leader McConnell and the Senate for twice confirming me. To be the first Asian American to chair the FCC has been a particular privilege, as I often say, only in America. Democrats are currently expected to make Jessica Rosenworcel the new chair, though nothing has been confirmed. Yeah, so uh, we're actually going to do a episode about Ajit Pai uh, in the next couple of weeks. I'm planning that out. Um, I think, in summary, I personally don't like Ajit Pai, but uh, that's I'll save that for that episode. <laughs> All right, so very uh, titillating uh, tidbits for upcoming yes. content. Yeah, uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon 888, the third generation. 5G and Cortex X1 on five nanometers. The Qualcomm Tech Summit still happened in digital form this year, and the Snapdragon 888 System on a Chip, or SOC, was announced. It's a huge leap forward. It's such a huge leap, they've moved from the normal naming scheme increments for this generation and skipped the 87X series altogether. The number 888 is partly there for marketing purposes as it represents fortune and luck in Chinese, but it also has substantial generational changes, setting it apart from the usual yearly improvements they've had in the past. It features the first ever implementation of the Cortex-X1 CPU core as the performance engine and new Cortex A78 cores for efficiency, a 35% boost in GPU performance, a new DSP NPU IP redesigned from the ground up, triple camera ISPs, and an integrated 5G modem. And it's all manufactured on the new 5 nanometer process node. The most important aspects for this year's design is that Qualcomm has gone back to a fully integrated modem design. Last year's Snapdragon 865 did not have a modem integrated, instead relying on the external X55 modem. Alright, so sounds like some pretty nice chips. Yeah. But, um, you know, Apple um, has probably some better chips than Qualcomm's current chips. Well, you know, different strokes, different folks, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, anything uh, 
you looking forward to as far as the uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon? Or I mean, uh, mobile hasn't really interested me uh, as much lately, to be honest. Yeah. So, all right. Well, see what they how they can uh, if they can stay uh, competitive in the mobile space. Yeah. All right, so speaking of Qualcomm, Qualcomm feels the Apple M1 is the boost the Windows ecosystem needs. Recent tests show that putting Windows on Apple Silicon totally destroys performance on currently available Qualcomm-made CPUs. You'd think Qualcomm would be apprehensive about its future desktop prospects, but the Qualcomm SVP and general manager for mobile compute and infrastructure, Alex Katusian, said on Wednesday that the new chip was a validation for putting mobile chips into laptops. Quote, as we've seen during the pandemic age, and I think this is going to continue for many years to come, video conferencing and remote working locations are going to become more and more important, which means you have to have the capability of great video conferencing. You have to have the camera capability. You have to have the longevity of the battery. You should be able to work from any place that you are inside your house or outside your house and reach your work environment in a secure fashion, Kazarian said. Quote, all these things are validation of what we've been preaching, and I think the strength is going to to come from the fact that our partnership with Microsoft is going to be much stronger and extended into the future. I think many, many parties realize that the Windows-based ecosystem needs a boost like this, and we're the partner of choice to make that happen. So it's a great opportunity and a great validation for Qualcomm, end quote. Yeah, and I think that's where the new chips come in for Qualcomm. Hopefully they could uh, catch up with Apple's performance. Of course, the Windows licensing doesn't really yet allow you to put it on an Apple M1 Mac. You could do it, but uh, it goes against the EULA. Oh, it does? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty interesting that the mobile technologies improved just so quickly that they're using technology for mobile devices for laptops. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Uh, really uh a good thing it's uh going to give like intel and amd more competition so you know i think that's exciting yeah i mean competition is always good for the marketplace so oh yeah well not always but generally as a rule i'd say yeah generally it's good for the marketplace i'm not aware of any well, time as, as long as bad. everyone's playing by the rules <laughs> yeah good clean competition is good yeah for the yeah people need to play by the rules because yeah otherwise the competition gets eliminated we did not want that well if everyone played by the rules all those lawyers and cops would just go homeless so yeah yeah, I guess we need some rule breakers to have the lawyers and cops, right? Yeah, it, so, makes, it makes the movies more exciting, too. Yes, it does. Uh, so Apple was fined $12 million for misleading claims of how waterproof its iPhones are. In Italy, the competition regulator hit Apple with a 10 million euro or $12 million fine for making false claims about how waterproof their iPhones are. The Autorita, I think I pronounced that right. I hope I don't butcher butcher that. Autorita Garante della Consorenza, I think. El Del Mercado. Let me take a shot at it. Yeah, you take a shot at it. The Autorita Garante della Conorenza e del Mercato. Which we'll refer to from this point on as the AGCM made this announcement on Monday, claiming Apple misled the public on two counts, that promotional materials the company claimed various iPhone models 
from the iPhone 8 to the iPhone 11 were water resistance at a depth between 1 and 4 meters, that's 3 and 13 feet, for up to 30 minutes, depending on the model. The AGCM says this was only the case under controlled laboratory conditions with completely still and pure water, but it wasn't true in real-world scenarios where consumers might drop their phones in water. And, you know, this actually makes sense if you uh, have, like, completely pure water, not contaminated with any little bit of dirt or anything. You can put an electronic item in it, and it won't short out. It won't shock you or anything. But the problem is most of our water is not that pure. Oh, yeah. It's either salinated or it's got some sort of minerals or something in it. Yeah. So if you put that, put your iPhone in that water, it's going to short out. It's going to fry. Yeah. You could get electrocuted. (laughs) Same thing with like, I know like if you're like in perfectly, you know, sterile water with nothing in it, Mm -hmm. like you can be in the pool and... Lightning could strike the water and you'd be just fine. Like if there's the water doesn't conduct electricity itself, it's the minerals and stuff yeah. in the water, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's why they say water and electricity don't mix. It's not that pure water itself doesn't mix it's fine. The stuff with, in the water, yeah. Yeah, yeah you gotta exactly. think too, you know, rainwater, that's not pure. There's all kinds of stuff floating around in the atmosphere. Oh yeah. So. so most of your water is not as pure as what they were using in the laboratories. So. Sometimes you just gotta show those kidneys who's boss. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of like I know the because uh, they're saying like oh well it's good water resistant up to four meters, but that's if you're in like perfectly clean water or whatever. Yeah, that reminds me of, like I know like the because the new systems just came out like I know the PlayStation specifically they're saying well it comes with a one terabyte hard drive, but after like the OS and everything that's on the hard drive you only have access to like six hundred something gigs. Yeah, so. but. But that's the general case with any hard drive, really. Even oh, yeah, I know PC. that. I'm just saying this just seems yeah. kind of like a similar situation. It's like, well, technically, yeah, if you drop it into a yeah. bottle of Evian that's four meters and, deep, then you're fine. And even before you put an operating system or any other software on it, a hard drive has some buffer space on it as well yeah. that you'll never be able to use. So it's always going to read a little... Oh, no, I get that, but I'm saying I feel like the layman... Like, I'm aware of things like this. I think most people, they say, oh, one terabyte. All right. You know, if they know what a terabyte is, they probably think, like, oh, I can put one terabyte of information on it. Like, no, you can only put, you know, 600 to something. Yeah. Or depending on how big your operating system is. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, that's something that you need to keep in mind out there if you buy a hard drive and realize it's not going to be that full amount... Fire beware. Yes. Amazon AWS EC2 now has a Mac Mini instance in the cloud. Apple Mac Mini desktop PCs are now in the Amazon cloud and creating Mac 1.metal instances. To be clear, these are not the Apple M1 ARM-based Mac Minis, but M1-powered instances are in the works and planned for 2021. These are 2018 generation Mac Minis with 6-core core core i7 CPUs and equipped with 32GB of DDR4-2666 RAM. Being Coffee Lake Intel Core i7-8700B CPUs, they include UHD 630 graphics. In the Apple Store, that configuration would cost you less than $1,899, but the AWS has instances via US West at $1.08 per hour with a minimum of 24-hour duration. 
There are plans to reduce the cost as well. At this pricing, it would take 73 days worth of on-demand pricing to equal the purchase price of the Mac Mini without the power and cooling. Yeah. So that's kind of exciting for anyone who doesn't have a Mac Mini but wants to use one in the cloud for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, you know, cloud-based computing, that's definitely on the rise right now. And, you, yeah. know, you know, Mac, they're, they've been titans in the game for a long time mm-hmm. now, so. Yeah. And if you have a web app that you want to run on the Mac Mini, well, hey, uh, rather than on a Linux box, for example. Okay. You know, you can do that. <laughs> a web app like Google Maps, perhaps? Well, I mean, if you're developing a web app, but hey, well, maybe Google wants to switch to Macs. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Google Maps is going to launch a news feed similar to Facebook's news feed. Google Maps is introducing a news feed called the Community Feed, which includes posts from the local area. The feed is found in the Explore tab of the Google Maps app and is designed to make it easier to find the most recent news, updates, and recommendations from trusted local sources, including posts business owners create, using Google My Business to alert customers to new deals, menu updates, and other offers. At launch, Google will focus on highlighting posts from food and drink businesses. I don't know why they said food and drink businesses in the articles. Why can't they just say restaurants or convenience stores or anything like that <laughs> i mean i guess it just means specifically i mean that covers yeah, a lot of things i, I guess that could it be, can cover a that lot could of drugstores yeah. that could yeah, be you know i suppose so yeah a farmer's market <laughs> you know yeah so yeah i mean obviously just like every other app out there they're just trying to get your eyeballs on there so they figured hey google maps you want to know what's going on in the area check this out so mm-hmm. i mean i guess that's convenient if you know that's how you choose to get your information about what's going on here yeah so yeah i have to check out that feature myself it might be good uh for some restaurants that we go to on occasion yeah yeah there's not a ton of restaurants right around where i live at i mean there's some i live not too far from like north lake area yeah and there's like a little shopping area right up the road for me but as far as like right around where my house is it's not a ton so yeah but, you know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. So uh, Google's AI piloting Loon's internet balloons. Alphabet has shifted Loon's navigation system from algorithms designed by humans to an artificial intelligence system developed with Google AI over the past few years. Uh, reinforcement learning, or RL, system is now in charge of navigation for a fleet of balloons over Kenya, where they started their first commercial service earlier this year. This is the first use of an RL model in a, quote, production aerospace system, according to Loon. They noted, quote, development is exciting because it shows that reinforcement learning can be applied to real-world use cases, end quote. Previously, RL has figured out how to beat Top Go and Dota 2 players. RL can figure out the optimal route for balloons significantly faster than the previous system, doing so with more efficiency. Does this mean eventually these uh, Loon balloons are going to turn on humans and start taking over? Well, I know these uh, balloon drone pilots that they're putting out of work are probably very upset. Yeah. So we probably shouldn't joke about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it was uh, not exactly AI, but some sort of system. I don't think human pilots were actually uh, flying it in the first place. But That was that was a joke, Joey. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's right. okay. It went over my head. <laughs> Just like the loon balloons. Yes. See yeah, how we tied it all together? Folks? Yes, exactly. Um so, you know this was bound to happen. Uh, the DOJ reportedly preparing antitrust lawsuits against Facebook and Google. 
The DOJ already filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google, but more legal battles are on the horizon. Both federal and state antitrust authorities will be filing new suits against Google and Facebook, marking the first time Facebook has been sued on antitrust grounds. Google has defended its practices in statements, saying its consumers aren't forced to use Google products and services, and they exist as part of a competitive technology marketplace. The case against Google specifically is that it uses its dominance in search and search advertising to box out potential competitors, along with having Android phone manufacturers set Google Search as the default in preloading devices with Google Apps. Google also pays to be the default search engine on iPhones. The case against Facebook would be more than likely to go into whether the company abuses its position to stifle competition or puts users' data at risk. For the former claim, they'll likely look at acquisitions like Instagram and WhatsApp. These new cases won't be filed until January, but Google is already preparing for the suit filed in October, and the FTC could file charges against Facebook soon as well. Say, so, yeah, it looks like uh, Facebook and Google might be in some hot water. What do you think of that? I mean, um, I, I'm sure they were very well aware this could happen as big as they are right now. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, they're prepared for it. Yeah, um, they'll figure it out. Yeah, I think uh, Google, I mean, yeah, there's other uh, places you could go to, to that offer the same services as Google. But uh, because they are in such dominant position, people aren't like going in droves to those other. Yeah, I mean, you can places, Google on Bing, yeah. you can Google on you on Yahoo, you yeah. can Google <laughs> on DuckDuckGo. Did you miss that? I just said Google every time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. I think the problem is, I mean, not a problem, I guess, quote unquote, if you want to call it that. But I think Google's just so big; it's just like ubiquitous with yeah. search engines. Mm-hmm. Like I just told you, I just told you, you could Google on all these other yeah. sites. You didn't even notice it. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I noticed, but I just kept it in there. Uh, but I mean, you could use Yandex for your email, and I think they have some other web apps too. They're similar to Google's uh, suite, you know. Yeah. But people are using google by and large yeah i think it's one of those things too it's just like they're just such a big company and then at the same time you know they're so big that they're able to sell your user data at such a premium because everyone's using google so right you know it's like it's, it's, i guess you could see the, how they could make the case for antitrust when it's so big like who can compete with google yeah. in the in the you know tech space no one really but so. i mean if you as a user are concerned about google and uh, the privacy and data risk there are alternatives out there so just be aware of that we just mentioned a few at the same time too i don't think your data is any in any worse hands with google as is with anyone else so I mean, yeah if you're using the internet they got your data your data oh, yeah. is out there. Sorry to tell you. Well, so, well, unless Doc, you're using these specialized services, but yeah. Well, DuckDuckGo specifically uh, keeps things private. Same thing, I think, with the Index. So yeah, but like I said, if you're using like any main, you know, main level, not main level, uh, any, uh, I don't know, what I'm trying to think of. Any of the mainstream services. If you're trying <laughs> to use any other any mainstream website at all or app, they have your 
uh, info as well. Yeah. yeah, for sure. HP is leaving Silicon Valley for Houston, Texas. Hewlett Packard Enterprise is the latest tech company to move from Silicon Valley. They announced that they'll move to Houston, Texas during their fourth quarter earnings release. They say, quote, HPE's largest U.S. employment hub, Houston, is an attractive market to recruit and retrain future diverse talent and is where the company is currently constructing a state-of-the-art new campus, end quote. It's not clear how many employees this move will affect, but the company said that there will be no layoffs in the move. HPE will keep the San Jose campus and will consolidate some of the Bay Area sites there. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they're keeping the uh, campus in the um, Bay Area, really, because I know a lot of uh, businesses have been moving from California to Texas and just totally leaving California altogether. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I know the taxes are kind of high out there. The property values are high. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know, like, especially with, uh, like, movie productions, a lot of those are moving away from, you know, the central California area. Yeah. So. And I know the um, the tech industry in general has been moving uh, largely from California to Texas. And I think maybe to a certain extent, the movie industry could be moving to Texas as well. I know at least some YouTubers have considered moving to Texas from California. Well, I know there's a lot of I know there's a lot of places in Texas like uh, like Austin and stuff that are pretty mm-hmm. trendy right now and stuff. Yeah. Too, so. Yeah, Austin's an interesting one because, I mean, you don't have to even have a business license to start a business there. I know that. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. So, um, Salesforce is buying Slack. Business software pioneer Salesforce.com is buying the work chat service Slack for $27.7 billion in a deal aimed at giving the two companies a better shot at competing against Microsoft. The acquisition was announced Tuesday and is the largest in the 21-year history of Salesforce. Salesforce was one of the first companies to begin selling software as a service subscriptions that could be used on any device on the internet instead of installing programs on individual computers. So we can blame companies like Salesforce for uh, this uh, subscription hell we're in now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't think I wouldn't call it a subscription, a subscription hell. Well, I mean, it adds up, you know. Well, if that's if you subscribe to a lot of services. Yeah, know? and a lot of people do, and then realize, oh crap, I've subscribed to way too many services. Yeah, I guess the best thing to do is like, well, I know with like streaming, at least you know, I have a couple. My family has a couple. My friends have a couple. We just yeah. kind of switch around. I guess you can't really do that with most mm-hmm. subscription services. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but okay. yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on how. You know, you just it's just a cost benefit analysis. Yeah. It's like, okay, do I really need this ten dollars a month, or you know what? I'd rather you know go get my own groceries yeah. from the store. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, Salesforce is mainly targeted towards businesses. So, if you don't have a business, you're probably not using Salesforce. No, yeah, probably not. But you might be in a database they have. Probably, yeah. You're yeah. probably in lots of databases that lots yeah. of people have. So. <laughs> All right, uh, so business claims Amazon seller is selling counterfeit versions of their product. Josh, Wexel, Josh Wexelbaum, the inventor of BeltBro, a no-buckle no belt which uses just two belt loops to hold up pants and shorts, has posted on Medium.com that after they started selling their product on Amazon, another seller has started making counterfeits and selling theirs too. 
Uh, they've gone so far as to copy the Belt Bro logo and name. Quote, several months ago, we decided to start selling on Amazon FBA. Overall, it was going to it was going very well, and our no-buckle belts were selling fast. But then I noticed a Chinese company who cloned our entire Amazon listing. I'm talking product packaging, branding, images, and more, Wexelbaum stated. Quote, what you'll notice is they stole not only our product, our packaging, and our design, but they also had took our images and Amazon sales copy word for word. End quote. Wexelbaum is part of Amazon's special brand registry program where companies with trademarks and patents can apply and get approved for increased brand protection. So Wexelbaum thought he could file a complaint and get this count for product removed. However, he found he couldn't. Two weeks after filing, Amazon said they reviewed the evidence and found it incomplete. They said to identify the specific contact on Amazon believed to be infringing, basically ignoring the picture's details and information he attached to his initial case log along with their ASIN number. So, if you want to support this company, perhaps go directly to BeltBro.com. Yeah, so. Um, that's an interesting problem Amazon is having there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is an isolated incident. I mean, obviously, that person he talked to, and this is just one side of the story, so. Yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to be like pro-Amazon, but. Right. Whenever I see stories like this, I always keep it back in my mind. This is just one person's account of what happened. So well, if that's what actually happened, then yeah, it's pretty messed up and it's yeah. terrible and it's a travesty. But Well, Amazon has had issues in recent uh, years with counterfeit products being sold on, uh, by third-party sellers. Oh, they have? I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. They've had a lot of big issues with that. So, I mean, I think it's more than just an isolated incident, but this kind of thing is happening. It's like... Some Chinese company, for example, gets some idea from someone here in America, copies it, and yeah. even in this case, rips their logo off too. So it's basically, and, yeah, it's the difference between because uh, the one. Oh, I'm sorry, there's between like copying someone's idea, but then marketing as the exact same product. That's kind of crossing the line. Yeah, so. that's 100% counterfeit. There, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Spotify is testing its own version of stories. I have no clue why. The music streaming service is now publicly testing their own version of stories, and it's an exclusive way for artists and companies to connect with their audience. Spotify has worked on this feature for a while. It's currently in A-B testing, though, so you may or may not see the feature currently. I mean... I guess I can kind of understand why, but it's like, I don't know. It's all about eyeballs. They want your eyeballs. <laughs> I guess, but... Um, they did some market research, and they said, hey, if you add this little thing to your app, you'll get more eyeballs. Yeah. And then you I have mean, more money in your pocket. And you yeah. buy all those cars you want. I, I feel like they could have uh, done something a little different, though. You know, just my opinion, because uh, too many people are using the stories idea now, and I think that's a problem with, like, I think just trends in general. Because yeah. once someone starts doing something and becomes super popular, you kind of have to do it, too, at that point. And that yeah. becomes, like, the industry standard that you have to have stuff like this. I mean, even freaking Google Maps has it. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't you think it's going to um, come to a point where the stories aren't going to be as effective anymore as they oh, are yeah, That's right the whole now? point of bubbles. It's like, you yeah. know, everyone just keeps, you know, utilizing and utilizing the resource yeah. or whatever. Eventually the bubble pops, and then they find something else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's why I'm saying Spotify should really try something different. That's just my opinion, though. Well, I guess uh, guess we know why the R&D people at Spotify make more money than us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
All right. Uh, so uh, Manchester United recently was hacked. The soccer team recently experienced a cyber attack, which forced them to shut down their systems. They said that they had been hit by a sophisticated attack last Friday. The Daily Mail reported hackers are demanding, quote, millions of pounds, but United has not identified a motive for the attack and has rejected the suggestions that attackers still have control of the system. They also said, quote, this attack was by nature disruptive. We are not currently aware of any fan data being compromised. They've also had not said if it was a ransomware attack or not. Yeah. So yeah, Manchester United. I remember we had that story a couple weeks ago about the uh, hospital and all that. So oh yeah, everyone's under attack right now. Yeah, no, that really sucks. You really have to be careful about uh, what you're putting on your computer right now. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Yeah. They hacking everybody. Yeah. Um, so there's a hacker selling hundreds of C-suite level email credentials. For Microsoft accounts, for as little as a hundred dollars, that's pretty cheap. How much do they usually cost? Um, it can cost anywhere between like one hundred to I think fifteen hundred dollars. I saw, but um, hundreds of C-suite level email credentials are being sold on a Russian-speaking underground forum. ZDNet reported on Friday they found the hacker is selling email and password combinations for Office 365 and Microsoft accounts, which belong to high-level executives, such as CEOs, COOs, CFOs, CMOs, and CTOs of various companies relying on Microsoft. The hacker posted an ad on exploit.in, an underground forum for Russian-speaking hackers, with login information for an executive at a UK business management consulting agency for the president of a US apparel and accessories maker to prove his offering was legitimate. All right, so I guess what are the benefits of a C-suite level email credential? I mean, you could get some pretty big uh, business information like insider stuff um, from about what the company oh doing. never mind yeah I, I was i was i just misread so they they're actually stealing like people's information yes okay exactly so so they could go through read your emails find out what your company is doing or maybe some financial information uh you never know i mean do you have 100 bucks we could buy the coo of uh, some company's email maybe yeah. you can figure some stuff out or maybe they're developing some software and so they get access to the source code as a result and then they find uh, loopholes and then they're able to hack the software to do their evil deed you know maybe they're going to start a competing tech podcast uh, uh, that's not good well I mean if they did that won't hurt me they must be stopped bro there, 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 there's probably you, you can start a tech podcast without doing that <laughs> we, we could team up with those team tech guys and take them down yeah exactly <laughs> um Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, Microsoft is facing criticism for productivity score technology. The new score measures how much individual workers use email, chat, and other digital tools. But the company has bigger ideas for using t this technology to monitor workers to maximize productivity. The new Microsoft patent filings describe a system for deriving and predicting, quote, overall quality scores, end quote, for meetings using data like body language, facial expressions, room temperature, time of day, and the number of people at the meeting. It uses cameras, sensors, and software tools to determine how much a participant contributes to a meeting versus performing other tasks, for example. 
The system predicts the likelihood of having a high-quality meeting and flags potential challenges when an organizer sets up a meeting. It will recommend alternative venues, times, or people to include in the meeting. The filings don't detail potential privacy safeguards. GeekWire had reached out to Microsoft to ask, but a Microsoft spokesperson declined to comment on the patent filings. Yeah. I mean, my main concern with this is it uh, might not allow people to be human, you know? Yeah, this is kind of like, uh, as far as like this whole fear for like technology in the future, this is what really kind of creeps me out. Is they're using like AI to like look at like your micro expressions and your body temperature and your vital signs to yeah. kind of work up a profile on you to find out how productive mm-hmm. you are. That's what I find creepy. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I understand they're trying to, you know, squeeze every last cent out of you they can, but yeah, like if I uh have a back that's hurting for example, they might send me home for the day when I really need to work. You know? Yeah, that's true. Even though my back hurting might not be serious, but I might have to take a like 10 second break from something you know yeah and that's the thing too i mean when you have like you know you know policies in place so like oh well if your back hurts and you have to go home you know i understand you you can't you know it wouldn't be fair to make you know okay you can go home and you can stay you can sit down for 30 minutes you gotta get up and work so i guess it's just easier for them just to make a broad sleeping thing like okay if you're feeling the sort of pain then you have to go home so yeah and by the way, if you're going to do that for us retail workers, give us health insurance. <laughs> hey, Amazon gives out free health insurance, baby. <laughs> yeah, true. But Amazon is, uh, I mean, I'd probably have trouble with doing that job myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. And plus it sucks. It's so boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So DeepMind AI is making huge leaps in solving protein structures. Um, this probably should have been in the space and science news, but I've got it in general tech. Uh, DeepMind, a Google AI offshoot, has made huge leaps in solving one of biology's biggest challenges, uh, determining a protein's 3D shape from its amino acid sequence. The program, called AlphaFold, outperformed around 100 other teams in a biennial protein structure prediction challenge called CASP, or Critical Assessment of Structure Prediction. Results were announced on November 30th at the start of the conference, which was held virtually this year. The ability to accurately predict these structures will be a huge boon to life sciences and medicine. It would accelerate efforts to understand the building blocks of cells and enable faster and more advanced drug discovery. I know they've been uh, trying to use a lot of this type of stuff for like finding a cure or a vaccine for COVID as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most pharmaceutical companies or whatever, they're using AI on some level to help, yeah. you know, develop, you know, vaccinations, cures, inoculations, whatever. So, right. I know for a while, and I was even uh, advertising it here on the podcast, I had a. Uh, a folding at home thing going on and um, started a folding at home team that no one joined, but you could actually hook your computer up to a network. And when you weren't doing anything with your computer, you could let it run and help out that network uh, find like those uh, folding patterns that yeah. the proteins have. I used to do that on my PlayStation 3. They had a thing for that. I didn't know what the heck it was. I thought it was kind of interesting, but yeah, that that was an option for you know something you can do. So that's yep. pretty cool. 
So uh, Tesla owners are to be able to remotely view what autopilot cameras see. Sentry mode enables Tesla owners to remotely see what their cameras can see through autopilot cameras. Tesla is planning a big software update, likely version 11, to be pushed around the holidays. Musk has been teasing a quote-unquote fire update with new surprise features. We don't yet know all the features of this update, but Tesla has been talking about Sentry Mode, which will be part of its mobile app. It's an integrated surveillance system inside the vehicle using autopilot cameras around the car. This has been a game changer when it comes to parked cars being vandalized. On several occasions, Sentry Mode videos went viral and vandals turned themselves in after online pressure. In other cases, as it has helped police identify and find vandals. I do apologize. Our cat is hitting the mic cables a little bit. <laughs> He's wanting attention. This is our little uh, associate producer, right? I guess so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I think this is an interesting feature. I, you know, I'm wondering how much, uh, I mean, if a parent gets their uh, teenage uh, son or daughter a car, they might go with the Tesla so they can spy on their kids to see where they're going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure they have location services too for the car, but I guess this just makes yeah. it a little bit easier. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just more and more as technology progresses. I'm glad I grew up in the 90s. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, is my child really at church right now? Or are are they at a party at Jimmy's house? Yeah. Hmm. That Jimmy. I think he's a bad influence. Yeah, he is. Uh, Tesla Model X hacked with a $195 Raspberry Pi-based board. Researchers from COSIC, a security research group, from the University of Leuven, I believe, in Belgium, managed to hack a keyless entry system and the Tesla Model X. The COSIC team said they've discovered a major security flaw in the system of the Tesla Model S and detailed how the measures implemented in the more recent Model X can be bypassed as well. They showed how the battery-powered Tesla Model X can be stolen in just a few minutes. As a result, Tesla has released an over-the-air software update to mitigate the issues. One of the PhD students at the research group, Leonard Wouters, explained, quote, using a modified electronic control unit obtained from the salvaged Tesla Model X, we were able to wirelessly up to five meters distance, force key fobs to advertise themselves as connectable BLE devices. By reverse engineering the Tesla Model X key fob, we discovered that the BLE interface allows for remote updates of the software running on the BLE chip. As this update mechanism was not properly secured, we were able to wirelessly compromise a key fob and take full control over it. Subsequently, we could obtain valid unlock messages to unlock the car later on. With the ability to unlock the car, we could then connect to the diagnostic interface normally used by the service technicians. Because of a vulnerability in the implementation of the parking protocol, we compare a modified key fob to the car, providing us with permanent access and the ability to drive off with the car, end quote. So is there anything these Raspberry Pis can't do? I mean, <laughs> Raspberry Pis are amazing. I mean, 
they're not very fast machines, but you know, it's um, they could be used for all sorts of stuff. But um, it's good that Tesla went ahead and issued this over the air update to secure their cars. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, last thing you want is for a bunch of people with Raspberry Pis stealing your Tesla. So. Yeah. I mean, Raspberry Pi itself, I mean, there has to be more to it than just that board because... Oh, yeah, Raspberry, I know they just pull it out of the box and plug it into the uh, car. But Well, know, I mean, the Raspberry Pi, I'm not aware of a $195 model. You type the story up, I don't have to tell you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I got my information from another article. I got you. But, yeah, I'm... I'm not aware of a model of the Raspberry Pi that costs that much, so I'm assuming there has to be a bit more equipment on that Raspberry Pi for it to do that. Well, it's Raspberry bought Raspberry Pi based, so maybe there's other components. Yes, yeah, I think there's other components there, but still. All right. So, uh, Libra cryptocurrency changes name to Diem to distance itself from Facebook. Libra is now known as Diem. This was done in an effort to show the project as, quote, organizational independence while it attempts to get regulatory approvals for launch. It initially received pushback partly because it emerged out of Facebook and because its ambitious aims seemed to threaten the traditional government-run financial systems. The Libra Association will also be changing its name to the Diem Association, and the currency will be called the Diem Dollar. Facebook initially pitched Libra as a mainstream cryptocurrency that could be spent online and offline. It was meant to make digitally transferring money faster and easier than it currently is. Facebook would offer financial services around it, as well as a digital wallet called Calibra. The wallet app has been renamed Novi. Yeah, I'm not sure how much Facebook is even involved with it at this point, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't really know much about cryptocurrency, and I don't really follow them, but um, I think it's interesting that Facebook kind of just came up with their own, but now they're kind of like trying to break away. So yeah, I mean, I don't even think most Facebook users even knew about the cryptocurrency. I know about it because I kept up with the cryptocurrencies, yeah. but not many people seem to have even noticed. Yeah, I don't think a lot. Of, I don't think I know cryptos are kind of mainstream, but I feel like the vast majority of people aren't really using them. Right. So, automated drywall robot uh, works faster than humans in construction. Canvas, a robotics company, announced its public launch with partnerships and $19 million in financing this month. The robotics company was founded in 2017 and designed a robotic arm with sensors that automate the process of drywall installation. The company will now expand its regional presence, as well as developing its robot to carry out a number of automated construction tasks. The company claims its robots operate faster than a human without a machine. Most robotics companies sell or rent their machines, but Canvas robots are operated by trained workers from the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. Quote, Canvas is creating meaningful union career opportunities, helping introduce previously untapped communities to the trades, and making the work itself safer and reducing the strain on the body, end quote, said District Council 16 business manager Robert Williams III, who is a third-generation union painter. So I find this interesting. Normally unions are fighting against a lot of this automation, but in this case, it's a case of the 
robotics and the automation partnering alongside the workers, which I believe is really beneficial to people. That's and, pretty. That's pretty smart. I yeah. think that might be a good like in between. I mean, obviously. Technology has to advance. Yes. We can't just go forever with our current technology. Mm-hmm. At the same time, too, we can't put, you know, everybody out of work. You know what I'm saying? So right. I think, you know, obviously, if this machine is more efficient, some people can lose their jobs. But I think the fact that it, it works alongside or with the it, it works with the use of a trained human is very good. Yeah. And I mean, in this case, uh, it makes the job safer, too. From what I read in the article um, that I got the information from, I don't think there were any jobs really being lost. Of course, um, you build a building and then it's built. You know, you don't continue construction unless something needs to be added to it. Yeah. Um, So it's hard to really say how many jobs are lost, but I don't see that many jobs being lost in this case. I'm not saying it's like like going to be like a mass thing but obviously you know if this thing makes you more efficient then you know Mm -hmm. you're going to need less people to do the same amount to do the same amount of work in that amount of time right yeah and um i don't think i mentioned it but they're um using it um they're trying to use these uh, robots for other construction tasks as well so i think construction could definitely benefit a lot from like you know the advanced technology because yeah. that's that's still a very dangerous industry. Yes, and it's going to need the humans to uh, assist the technology in that industry. I think so. Until they don't, Joey. Until they don't. <laughs> okay. And we'll be back after this message. like the music and sound effects we're using on the Joey's Totally Tech podcast? Well, we get the licensing for this music through Epidemic Sound. If you're a content creator creating video on YouTube or other social media platforms or a fellow podcaster, visit bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic. That's bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic. And you can sign up for a subscription for as little as $15 per month. They have a wide variety of genres of music, as well as sound effects you can incorporate into your content. You don't have to pay royalties, you just pay the monthly subscription fee. Or you can also buy lifetime licenses to particular tunes and effects too. So if you want to use some fresh music and help support this podcast too, check out bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic and sign up for Epidemic Sound today.
And we're back. Thanks for staying with us there. And now it's time for the gaming news. Retailers are saying that the RTX 3060 Ti launch stock is like all of the 3080, 3090, and 3070 cards combined. There are possibly as many NVIDIA RTX 3060 Ti cards out at the retail launch as all of this previously released cards combined. This comes from a poll of 12 different retailers in the US, Canada, Europe, and Australia. This puts the GPU at a better place than any of the other recently released GPUs in the recent months. However, retailers still expect this card to sell out. Yeah, so I guess uh, RTX has high hopes for this card. So. Oh, yeah. you mean NVIDIA? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. I guess <laughs> NVIDIA has high hopes for this uh, graphics card. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, they have high hopes for all their cards, really. Um, especially the higher-end cards, which they didn't produce enough of. But I think that was to keep them in the press, really. Just yeah. like the consoles. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said. I mean, like you said, they uh, they released obviously a, a large stock as much as their other combined. So. Yeah, but this is like the more affordable um, mid range card. These aren't the high end cards. So yeah, it's okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, RTX thirty sixty Ti reviews are in, and uh, they have been found to perform at around the same performance of the twenty eighty Super, and even beats the twenty eighty Ti in some cases. At a launch price of three ninety nine, it's a very compelling GPU, and if it sells out, you'll likely end up having to pay nine hundred dollars on eBay at least until it comes back in stock. Yeah, so um, yeah, we'll see how things go. I haven't really kept up with the launch of this card. I know it's already out. Um, I don't know if it's sold out right now because, like I said, I haven't been keeping up like I should. If I'm honest, well, watch out for those graphics card scalpers. Yeah, because yeah, um. I mean, I kind of know generally when like the anything from mid range to high end comes out, it sells out quickly. The lower end stuff, like when we talk about, um, I don't know if they're going to do like a 3050 or if they're going to do like a 1750 instead. Lower end stuff like that, that won't sell out quite as much. I'll be cheaper. That's more my budget. <laughs> I understand. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't know. Have you heard about the new, uh, Super Nintendo World in, uh, Japan? Oh yeah. Yeah. AR Mario Kart anchors Universal's Super Nintendo World in February. It's been over five years since Nintendo announced plans to collaborate with Universal Studios on a real world theme park. Universal Studios announced the opening of Super Nintendo World on February 4th, 2021 in Osaka, Japan. Mario Kart Koopa's Challenge is a highlight of the new Nintendo-themed area of Universal Studios Japan. People are in a model of Bowser's Castle, and riders are in a replica cart with augmented reality glasses to help them be fully immersed. The cart is on rails, which prevent free driving around the track, but augmented reality glasses will let players actually see shells being thrown to take out opponents. There's also a Yoshi's Adventure Ride, 
featuring Captain Toad and a quest for hidden covered eggs. Both of these attractions last about five minutes. So, yeah, I think uh, I've been kind of keeping track of the whole Nintendo world in Japan for the last couple of years now. And, uh, you know, I'm not really a theme park guy, and I don't really see myself going all the way to Japan just to check this out. But if I were ever in the area, I would definitely I would definitely check it out because it does sound pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, I definitely want to ride the um, Mario Kart Koopa's Challenge uh, ride for sure if i ever go there yeah that'd be pretty interesting just you know driving around bowser's castle and there's I'm sure there's fireballs and bombs and all kinds of crap yeah. going off i'd like to visit super potato in japan what's super potato that is a video game store in japan they sell a lot of retro video games i think they sell modern stuff too but it's a pretty popular spot there i heard they have robots that make ice cream i want to check those out. oh nice all right so next up the space and science news Physicists might be able to create and destroy magnetic fields from afar. This method involves running electric current through a special arrangement of wires to create a magnetic field, which looks as if it came from another source. Real-life applications include a cancer drug that can be delivered directly into a tumor deep in the body by capsules made of magnetic nanoparticles. You can't stick a magnet in the tumor to guide nanoparticles on their journey, but if you could create a magnetic field from outside the body, which centered right on the tumor, you could deliver the drug without an invasive procedure. Magnetic field strength decreases when with distance from the magnet. A theorem proven in 1842 Arnshaw's theorem says it's not possible to create a spot of maximum magnetic field strength in empty space. But Rosa MacBattle, a physicist in Italy, and her colleagues may have found a way around this. Inspired by work in optics, which uses engineered materials known as metamaterials, which are designed to have properties not found in any naturally occurring material, to get around limits on resolution set by wavelength of light, they thought hypothetical magnetic materials might enable the impossible with magnetic fields. So that's pretty interesting. I guess you can just make a magnetic field in thin air now. So that's yeah. pretty exciting. Well, I mean, I think there's still work to be done on that, but you know, that's pretty exciting. It could, for example, help out with cancer treatments. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There might be some other... Uh, practical uses for it too you can control birds now i guess (laughs) i guess yeah china's first nuclear reactor using hualong one tech connected to grid china's first nuclear facility which uses hualong one technology which was developed in china was successfully connected to the grid in china's fujian province early last friday Upon connection, the number five unit at the Fuking Nuclear Power Plant of the China National Nuclear Corporation, or the CNNC, started generating electricity. This is a landmark achievement for China, which signals a great improvement in the competitiveness of China's nuclear power industry. Yeah, we edited it out, but uh, Antonio mispronounced Fuking. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think you're allowed to say that as long as it's a harmless mistake. I know, but I try to keep it family friendly here. Okay. Well, you can only imagine what I said by mistake. Yes. So, but uh, so yeah, China's getting nuclear power. I guess hopefully that'll help. I know they have a lot of air pollution down that way. So yeah, hopefully that'll help things out in the next you know 30, 50 years. Yeah, sure. And I'm hoping China is getting serious about. Uh, working on reducing that air pollution because i mean the planet is in a pretty serious shape right now when it comes to uh global warming yeah yeah it is but you know like i know like we discussed uh, a couple weeks ago you know nuclear power i know a lot of people are kind of down on it because they're afraid of like you know nuclear fallout and nuclear waste yeah. but it really has come a long way in the last yeah. few decades so I, I mean it has its downsides but I oh think, yeah yeah for sure but i think that's part of a transition to a safer uh energy source yeah for sure yeah engineers are building huge salt caves to store large amounts of hydrogen Scientists are wanting to store large amounts of hydrogen in case a boom happens and reserves are needed. They're going to use salt mines for this. Fuel Cell Works reports, quote, The project would initially have enough energy to power 150,000 households for one year and is scheduled to be operational by 2025. It is being managed by Mitsubishi Hitachi Power Systems, a maker of gas turbines and Magnum Development, which owns salt caverns for liquid fuel storage, end quote. Salt mine caves would be repurposed to store reserves of hydrogen as well as other fuels. Salt makes a great medium for storing and then continuing to generate green hydrogen. All right, so they're hiding hydrogen, not hiding, but they're storing hydrogen in the salt yes. case. That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hydrogen is a potential energy source that once they figure out how to use it uh, safely and everything, could be a really good uh, one. Yeah, hydrogen, that's what was inside the Hindenburg, so we don't yeah. want that again. Yeah, we don't want Hindenburgs. So a Chinese submarine has reached the deepest place on Earth. And I'm not going to be mad if you mispronounce the name of the submarine here. I'm going to give it the old college try. <laughs> the Chinese submarine, Fenduzush. No, <laughs> Fenduzu. Fenduz. Okay. Yeah. The Chinese submarine, Fendige, reached one of the deepest spots on the planet, a depth of 35,791 feet, according to a state-run nude agency. And you can always trust those. The submarine completed 13 dives into the Marianas Trench during a month-long expedition. This area boasts the deepest region on Earth. It's in the Western Pacific Ocean. This puts China into a club of just a handful of countries, which include the U.S., France, Russia, and Japan, that have vessels capable of crude sub-11, 483-foot dives. Welcome to the club, China. So, yeah, the... Uh they're in the Marianas Trench now, I guess. Yeah. What's down there that the they Mariana might want. Trench. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they probably uh, want to find out what kind of creatures are down there. You know. Oh, maybe it's like Pacific but, Rim. Did you ever yeah. see that? Mm-mm. I think the story of that is like, I think I think it was the Marianas Trench. But it was somewhere deep yeah. in the ocean. There was a portal to like another dimension. Oh, yeah. And all these kaiju came out of there. So then oh, wow. in response, of course, we had to build giant mechs to fight them. And then that's the movie. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Um, I mean, going to places like the Mariana Trench and whatnot, that's a great of a great place for scientific discovery right now. Right on. Yeah. So a Chinese team test jet engine 
able to reach anywhere on Earth within two hours. Uh, Chinese scientists have built what they say is a revolutionary plane engine for Mach 16 flight. The aircraft will be able to reach anywhere on Earth within two hours. A test flight of a prototype was performed in a hypersonic wind tunnel in Beijing. The test suggested unprecedented performance in terms of thrust, fuel efficiency, and operational stability. The engine could also be used for reusable trans-atmospheric planes, which would be able to take off horizontally from any airport runway, go into orbit around Earth, and then re-enter into the atmosphere and land at another airport. See, that's pretty crazy. You can fly to Australia in just two hours. Yeah, well, China's well, not. not very far away from Australia. Let's let's put something like well, I meant you side. from here. If oh. you had this, could fly to Australia. Yeah, if I had that, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's that expensive. You'd be able yeah. to afford one. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but we just need uh, quite a few more uh, exclusive subscribers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The, uh, so did I read this correctly? So basically the plane just takes off vertically? Um, then... that, that's one uh, thing the engine could be used for. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I mean, obviously it's just the engine, so right. I've, it depends on the application for what it's used. Yes. But, yeah, mm. I mean, it's pretty interesting. I mean, that's... I mean, next thing you really have to go from there... I mean, obviously you can get anywhere in one hour, I guess, but yeah, two hours, I think, is pretty reasonable. So. Oh, yeah. We just teleportations right around the corner. I can feel mm-hmm. it. <laughs> All right. So a uh, mysterious monolith disappeared in Utah and another one has reappeared in Romania. And I question whether I should put this in science news. In fact, I think we skipped over it the other week. Hey, I don't remember this. I remember, I remember this story from the internet, but I don't think we reported on it last yeah. week. Um, I don't know if it's science news. It's maybe it's freaky deaky booty yeah, magic news, but it could be science if aliens put it there. So, I mean, I had to put it somewhere. Yeah. Okay, so in a story we skipped the other week, a mysterious monolith appeared in Utah. Most people believe it was probably part of a movie set, but now it has disappeared. Another similar monolith has appeared in Romania. The monolith is almost identical, though this one has what looks to be deliberate loop-de-loop scribbles scratched on the face. It stands at about the same height as the one in Utah. This is only a few feet away from where the ancient Dacian fortress once stood, according to the Daily Mail. Yeah, I mean... I think this is a uh, part of a Marvel TV show, actually. It could be. I don't know. I don't know why yeah. they would just need a little metal monolith in Utah and yeah. another one in Romania. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, it could be. I don't know. I think it's either just like an art yeah. piece or just yeah. someone messing around. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something out of Agents of Shield, even though Agents of Shield is already over. Well, know, maybe they're trying to do like a grassroots kind of thing to bring the show back. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, vortex rings uh, have been found inside magnetic material for the first time. Scientists have discovered vortex rings inside a tiny pillar comprised of magnetic material. The new study marks the first time vortex rings were identified in a magnetic material. Magnetic ring vortices were predicted more than 20 years ago when physicist Nigel Cooper of the University of Cambridge showed the world how magnetic vortices are not unlike those seen in fluid dynamics. But the ability to witness them, however, was pretty difficult. 
Now we have the technology required to view this. Researchers from the S. Zurich and the Paul Scherer Institute created an X-ray nanotomography technique which can capture a 3D image of the magnetization structure with a gadolinium cobalt magnet. But they don't behave the way scientists thought they would. Fluid rings are constantly in motion and only for a short time. They thought magnetic vortices would follow the same pattern, but these vortices held still in a static stage and only disappeared when the magnet became annealed or heated and exposed to strong magnetic fields, which is a process to reorient the magnetization. So lots of hot magnet news this week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm sure when you're looking at like a, a column of magnetic material and you're seeing all kinds of crazy, you know, vortices being formed, I'm sure it's pretty oh, yeah. trippy, but... Yeah, I've never looked into this enough to know about this, but this was in the news this week, so it's like, okay, that's interesting. And I think sometimes with the space and science news, it's like that, honestly. We get some stories that I'm not sure how it affects uh, things in my life, but I'm sure if I were a scientist... Oh well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point stuff. of science, just to see what's <laughs> out there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. All right, so a drug reverses age-related cognitive decline within days. A few doses of this experimental drug can reverse age-related declines in memory and mental flexibility in mice, according to a new study by UC San Francisco scientists. This drug, called ISRIB, has been shown in laboratory studies to restore memory function months after a traumatic brain injury, reverse cognitive impairments in Down syndrome, prevent noise-related hearing loss, fight some prostate cancers, and enhance cognition in healthy animals. The study, which was published December 1st in the journal eLife, showed rapid restoration of youthful cognitive abilities in aged mice, accompanied by a rejuvenation of brain and immune cells, which could help explain improvements in brain function. Yeah, that's exciting stuff there. Um, So, like, people with uh, cognitive disabilities or decline could really benefit from ISRIB. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, I used to work in a nursing home, and uh, I think, like, you know, dementia and mental decline, that's probably one of the most heartbreaking diseases because it's just like a slow and painful thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, luckily, I've had it, I haven't had to deal with that. But I can only imagine, like, looking at your mom's face and she has no idea who you are, you know? So, oh, yeah, that's got to be difficult. But, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, this will lead to something that can definitely help treat, you know, like I said, Alzheimer's and dementia patients and things like that. So. Yeah. So the Arecibo Observatory Telescope in Puerto Rico collapsed a few days ago. The U.S. National Science Foundation said the 900-ton instrument platform fell onto a reflector dish 450 feet below. This happened just weeks after officials announced the telescope would be dismantled due to safety concerns following damage to its support system. This was one of the largest telescopes in the world. It was considered a key scientific resource for radio astronomers for 57 years and was also made famous as the backdrop for a scene in the James Bond film GoldenEye, as well as other Hollywood movies. There were no reports of injuries following the collapse. This is the last level in the GoldenEye game. Yeah, I think so. This is when you throw Alex Javillion off. Yeah. For Queen and Country James. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, that sucks. It sounds uh, very expensive. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, I guess they were going to replace it anyway. So mm-hmm. I guess this helps save on some of the demolition costs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know if they were playing on replacement, but they were definitely going to dismantle it. Oh, yeah, I did see so, the dismantle, not replace. Yeah. I mean, we're, they got to have a giant telescope in Puerto Rico. Are they going to watch the stars now? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's other places that it can be done. <laughs> yeah, but you got to take a boat now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Or a plane. Or a plane, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so China's Chang E5 mission has touched down on the moon. So they just got to the moon, too. Cool. The aim of the mission is to collect samples of rock and dust and bring it back to Earth. This venture targets Mons Rumker, a high volcanic complex in a nearside region known as Oceanus Procellarum. The lander will spend the next couple of days examining its surroundings and gathering up materials from the surface. Yeah, so, I mean, this is exciting, I guess, though uh, Russia's done this before. I mean, we've gotten uh, space rock or moon rocks and... Uh, moon dust before so I mean oh maybe they'll find something yeah. new we'll yeah see. maybe <laughs> I don't know yay China <laughs> yay China yeah I mean they're yeah. going up they're going down they're everywhere now they got this uh, you know what's that thing with the uh, pollution we were talking about yeah I know the the nuclear power plant oh yeah they got the nuclear yeah. power plants so yeah they're really on the rise yeah meanwhile uh, Elon Musk is focused on getting us to Mars so you know, I'm sure China yeah. will be there by 2100, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the Tech News and Commentary. I've been Joey Cagle. And I've been Antonio Guerra. We will catch you next time. Later. Peace.